and welcome to How to Grow a Pod, the podcast about podcasting, accompanying the first book about podcasting with its very own podcast. How to Start and Grow a Successful Podcast by me, Jilly Smith, is a practical guide to podcasting filled with the voices from the pioneers of the industry. And this is where you can hear the full interviews, virtually unedited and full of the advice that you need to make a successful podcast, whatever that means to you. From storytelling to monetizing, marketing, producing and editing, this is the ultimate guide to getting the most out of your podcasting pleasure. George the Poet, the award-winning creator and presenter of Have You Heard George's Podcast, tells me why Disney meant so much for him, why he moved to BBC Sounds and why the podcast is for him the perfect platform. So take us right back. So did it start as an art form that you needed the best platform for? Yeah. So um, to take you right back, I was a rapper from 15 to 19 and I transitioned into poetry for very practical reasons, actually. The style of rap that we were used to, crime, were very, was very fast. So if you weren't used to listening to it and you were encountering, you were, you were, um, encountering me for the first time, you might not catch everything that I said. And I thought a practical way around this is to take the same lyrics that I would perform as a grime MC and just speak them conversationally. And that um, made a lot of sense. That took me to the entertainment space from ads, TV appearances, specials, to actual music that sat on the radio. And all of these spaces have their strengths. However, I was most driven um, to write by, like I said, the stories inside me, stories from the people that I knew best. And there is a popular representation of a lot of those stories, which can be, um, can sometimes miss a bit of the nuance that I found most fascinating. So I knew that I had that problem and I just, it was like an open book on that one. I was just constantly working on how we can capture nuance and the complexities of all of the social milieu that, that, that create the, the impression of the hood or the inner city. Um, but I didn't really have any definitive answers. And interestingly, I started spending a bit more time with my young nephews who were seven and five years old at the time. And they were, uh, we used to watch a lot of their favorite films, films like Hotel Transylvania, Finding Nemo, um, uh, Despicable Me. And I fell in love again with the boundlessness of animation. I was very impressed. It's a very elastic form. The physical character, you know, the, the, the representation of human bodies are, is, is often literally elastic. And, uh, but then the music that goes along with it is very, it's taken very seriously. You know, these studios invest a lot of money in getting the right scores for movies, especially in children's entertainment. Now, I connected that with the kids, with the kids' movies that I enjoyed as a, as an infant, Renaissance Disney era, from Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin to Lion King. And I came to terms or I realized that this is some of the best music I've heard in my life. It's just that we don't conceptualize it as popular music. It's more like film music. So as I started becoming more and more interested in film music 
um, trying to think about ways of creating an experience that necessitated the use of film music in which film score was appropriate and that became um, that, that, that resulted with me putting a lot of these uh, Disney songs on my phone and just listening to them in the time that I used to listen to my normal uh, radio friendly music so, and what were you doing what was the experience when you put them in your ears because that's one of, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the kind of the power of your message when it's so intimate when it's in your body mm. so this Disney music is playing in your body and in many ways it would be like listening to any other kind of music but you're kind of intimating that that's not what's happening something else is happening right right so the Disney is is in my system I'm listening to this music and I'm processing my own I realise that it kind of accelerates my thought process or um, what's the word amplifies it yeah intensifies it you know it's music yeah. this is music will do this for anything yeah um but I started thinking about the mechanics of that so I started thinking uh, imagine if I could create intentional messaging that benefited from that support from that musical support and I thought well what would I say and I was very much into the sustainability agenda at the time I had done a little bit of work with Project Everyone which is like the publicity arm of the UN's sustainable development goals I was very much into the sustainable development goals I liked them as a framework. I appreciated having a global framework for, you know, how to make the world a better place. And I felt like that would give me some focus because up to that point, a lot of my social activism through poetry was a little bit scattergun. You know, um, I do a little bit on unemployment. I do a little bit on uh, climate change, on water shortage, grain shortage, cancer uh, research. And it was all very important work, but I wanted to know that I was moving forward in a systematic way. So it's like, I felt like I was cross-pollinating different storytelling technologies. And then I started listening to a podcast called How I Built This. And I noticed that the average episodes were an hour long. Then one day a Richard Branson, sorry, um, How I Built This is a podcast about um, founders of businesses and social movements. And How I Built This was a big part of the genesis of my podcast. One time they had a Richard Branson episode and I was interested in hearing um, an updated version of Richard's story from his own mouth. Uh, but it was only half an hour long. And that when I realised my disappointment at a half, half hour episode, that's when it clicked. That's when a lot of the storytelling questions I had in my mind just converged on the form of podcasting. I realized that this is a serial, number one. People expect a continuation. Um, and because of the model that they've chosen, they have an endless stream of stories to tell. Um, and the fact that the listener expects an, to listen for an hour, that's a form that would afford me a lot of space to elaborate the nuance that I don't think I, 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 was, I was great at mastering in, in pop music. Is that because if you're going to listen to something for an hour, there's a there's a feeling like, OK, I'm going to turn off the rest of the world. I'm going to sit down. I'm really going to engage in this. Whereas a half hour might be something you'd listen to on the tube or the train. It's a commute. It's a thing that you're doing while you're doing something else. Is, is that the intention? 
There's definitely part of that. So for me, I didn't really differentiate between half hour and hour long forms because the form that I had been accustomed to was song. Three minutes. And, and uh, in many ways, that was kind of the bane of my life as a strong phrase, but it was a, it was a problem. It was a, like a strategic stumbling block. How am I going to ever explain all the things that I see with three-minute songs. So um, it's limiting. And, lim- and the podcast form was giving you a freedom, time. Yeah, that's right. Now, cr- not to take anything away from the, you know, the well-established tradition of popular music, some people are great at drawing out nuance in that form. Um, but I think having written essays for so long of my school career and focused on essay writing subjects at quite an intense level, I was used to deep dive. I felt most comfortable with um, uh, explorative uh, content, which which gave me a lot of room to use a lot of words. Yeah. So you had lots to say. I mean, the stuff that you've, you've done 18 episodes now yeah. of your podcast, yeah? That's right. And in that time, I mean, you have covered so much stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just keep going on, couldn't you? Yep. Yep. At what point did you think this is it, I'm, I'm getting here. I mean, awards aside, or, or maybe was it the kind of the feedback that you were getting from outside world? What point did you think, this is, this is it, I'm being heard? Well, Julie, I think it's quite telling that I thought of the podcast title before writing a, a single line of it. So before I began constructing my podcast, I think at that point I already knew I had decided... It was quite, it was, it was like, it was, um, it was the confluence of a lot of questions that I had for a long time. The podcast was the answer. So when you feel that alignment within, within yourself, it is then your job to, to make it apparent to everyone else. So you use a lot of, you know, you use that wonderful sort of Ira Glass um, the kind of signposting, I don't know if that's deliberate, where you kind of go, wait, stop, close your eyes, listen. Yeah. This is really important. You rupture the narrative to kind of make people who might be drifting off, unlikely, but they might be, to, whoa, hang on a second, come back, let's regroup here. Did you hear what happened there? Yeah, um, I, I guess that was probably the way I initiated getting this podcast together. I created it in this actual room, I, one of the rooms in my place. Um, I, um, I thought to myself, first I, I sat down and I tried, I, I forced myself to write to film scores. I, I wrote to the score of American Beauty, right? And they have these like little three minute clips or three minute suites in which you can, um, well, I, I, I grew up as a rapper, so we used to use instrumental music as a as a blank canvas so i used film music as that canvas and like i said i would close my eyes i would listen to beauty and the beast pocahontas american beauty desperate housewives the danny elfman batman work and um i would i would triangulate my way to my my current truth and i, and I challenged myself to use the most immediate truth the, the, the stuff that is non-conclusive that I'm experiencing today I really challenged myself to do that and um, that 
in, 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 in trying to construct that in the mind of a listener, I, I became quite literal. I, yeah. I just said to myself, you're just going to have to ask them to close their eyes and you've got to make that part of the entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it's quite a, I, I was talking to Ira Glass about it, actually. He said it's quite a, a well-used trick, actually. It's when interviewers will stop. So news interviewers, for example, will stop and say, hang on a second, can I ask you a little bit more about that? Drill down. So they right. stop the flow. Um, and that brings people back. So it kind of arrests your um, yeah. your hearing. Um, the thing that takes people really deep it moves again it's another form of rupture is obviously the music that you do with your producer mm. your friend your collaborator how did you where did that come from how did that start Benbrick is a um, a very talented very talented ridiculously talented um, sound man of all sorts so he, he's a comp- he's a classical composer he's a pop music producer who sold millions of records in, in Asia um he is also a very skilled technician so he knows how to get the most out of our equipment and our software so we connected when i was in university in my final year and this is when like i was saying before i was doing a lot of tv poetry work some of it was ads some of it was like a, a random special for a sporting event some of it was my own poetry just on Channel 4 Random Acts. And he was he saw me on, on, on Jules Holland, 2013, just as I was trying to finish my degree. And he reached out to me. I was in Cambridge and he then really wanted to meet. So, And I was just curious. I just liked his approach. I went to meet him. We connected over the years. We batted about a few musical ideas, but he was on a similar journey to me in terms of feeling like the form that had been presented to him by the industry by our expectations as consumers just wasn't it there was something else so he started experimenting with film music and he did this thing he reached he reached out to ricky gervais and handled uh like designed a trailer just being a big fan this is the kind of person benbrick is if he is a fan of something, he'll really apply himself, apply his skill set to it. And he's very proactive about finding great people. And um, we connected our musical ideas for, for many years. Didn't Well, I say many years, about five years, didn't really compel us in any particular direction. But I had one of our routine annual catch ups with him. And I was like, this is what I'm thinking. And I already had some demos of what the podcast would look like. And he just got it. He ran with it. You know, I'm thinking about some of the ideas that you've kind of collaborated together. So the episode 18, um, the latest one at the moment, um, where you use the pillow talk that we're kind of used to. You know, we hear this throughout. But you you then find out that you're talking to Uganda. <laughs> that's amazing I mean you know you're playing with whole concepts and I'm thinking it's really interesting when you were talking about cartoons before because in my head when it was revealed that you were talking to Uganda who you're telling you've loved forever for 20 years you know as soon as you first saw her and I'm thinking who is this who's he talking about <laughs> I saw her as a cartoon a sort of like a, a cartoon version of the country um, right you know, and then you do the get the same with Britain, and you're talking about incredibly important issues. 
but using these shortcuts that we're kind of used to these sort of the music the the cartoon symbolism the uh-huh. it, it's amazingly powerful and thank you for appreciating the the uganda um analogy yep the the cartoonish element it's funny you talk about that i was reading the economist earlier the economist is something that i've always been encouraged to read as a student of the humanities and has always placed it's a publication that's always placed a lot of importance yes. on satirical cartoons and that was always a big thing for me i always thought i always wanted to reverse engineer these cartoons like how do you arrive at the characterization of a whole nation in that scenario bang on that's what i mean Thank you for finishing that thought for me. <laughs> it's kind of uh, what you do. You it. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about BBC Sounds. In many ways, and and I want to put it within the context of the way that you describe Britain. You're in love with Britain. Mm-hmm. You you know she's sweet. She's young. She sounds sexy. And then you call her. You say, actually, look, you know, this is who you are. This is where you come from. And although I love BBC Sounds and I love what they're doing, they are colonising podcasting and I wondered if you had any thoughts about that and also how you're working with them to produce such an extraordinary piece of work okay um before I put my interpretation of colonizing podcasting out there can can you offer yours BBC is very like Britain it means well the way that you describe Britain in in episode 18 I see the BBC kind of like that mm. um, meaning well great intentions does it brilliantly people respond but it's powerful it brings its uh, its history its context yeah. uh, to something that is quite punky and independent and you know you can do your own thing you can bring the, what you've done with your art form is really express yourself mm. limitlessly Mm. And, you know, a lot of people are doing the same thing without the same kind of listenership, but it doesn't matter. Mm. It's not about necessarily, it's not about listeners for them. It's, it can be a hobby or a passion project, yeah. a real nerdy thing. And by BBC Sounds coming in and upping the, the game, there's no longer a level playing field, the award ceremonies, the awards don't include the nerdy podcasters anymore because there are so many amazing, well financed well-produced technically proficient podcasts out there Mm. they've changed the story Mm. so do you separate their i'm just asking out of curiosity do you separate their entry from other big players like spotify do you see do you feel like i think spotify's done it too Mm. spotify's about making money Mm. bbc isn't about making money it's part of the bbc charter it's Mm -hmm. about bringing a sense of Britishness to the world and you are exactly a perfect example of that um, sure. you know we pay the BBC to do that and they do it extremely well mm. but it has changed podcasting um, so is your when you talk about colonising podcasting is, is that a comment more on the entry of big players full stop or is there a particular BBC approach that concerns you it doesn't concern me um, oh. It doesn't concern me. It has changed the way the podcasting is perceived. It's given it a lot more kudos, for example, which is a good thing. Mm. Um, it is different between Spotify, very different between Luminary as well, mm. um, in that you have to check, pay to listen to Luminary podcasts now. Right. Um, the reason I was asking was because BBC Sounds is your producer. So when you talk about, for example, um, there's one of your podcasts, 
one of the episodes i think it was about 14 15 somewhere around there where you talk about you know the inner the the the, the ambition commission yeah the curation process of the mind um the insecurity guards you know all that stuff is just great again very cartoony and um plays very well but actually i was wondering you know i was thinking about it in terms of all these little baby podcasters coming in and knocking on the door and not being able to get in right, and, right. you know these the big bbc bosses you know you can come in george the poet but you can't go come in little nerdy birdwatch podcaster do you know what i mean i know what you mean so it's interesting for me it's, it's, it's always helpful to understand the context that someone's speaking from because i'm so entrenched obviously in my context i came from as i keep saying rap grime at the time and grime um grime didn't have the the interest investment respect or protection of any big players in music or audio at the time so that led to a very DIY culture and that helped us uh, immensely however there were losers in that space I felt like a loser in that space consistently for for various reasons I felt like um as in, you know, to to take the to use it as a uh, a parallel example of innovation, a parallel to podcasting, it was an exciting space. There were there was a variety of voices, quirky, somber, stern, pained, fun loving. Um, but there was always a bias towards what the majority of the audience wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't. I, I didn't fare well on my, my work didn't fare well under that bias mm-hmm. uh, but I left Graham with, with that same DIY spirit I took it into my poetry and that poetry was um, I, I was able to take that directly to YouTube in, in my early days then as I explained to you big actors got involved from TV initially alongside that I had corporate clients people that wanted to pay me to present intelligently you know do what I really wanted to do without necessarily having the metrics that were so important in Grime I didn't have the biggest following I didn't have the majority I didn't have I wasn't the favourite of anything I was just 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 stubborn just weird just hard to place but I, what I wanted to do was 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 very clear I, I wanted to do poetry now with podcasting sorry no before entering podcasting i signed a record deal and i learned quite a lot i signed the deal just like five weeks after i graduated from uni and i always say the deal was like my master's that's when i saw the application the early application of my poetry across society scaled up um almost as a crash course no one had a, a, a very clear plan of how we were going to do it and there were some wins in that spaces i realized that pr is um i realized the value of pr i realized the mechanism of all of this i realized the the, the currency of, of of fame and what it, what it can achieve in 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 relation to my agenda my my, my community development agenda 
Um, so I was always interested in that, but I stepped away from that space because I felt like uh, we, we, it was very unlikely that our, um, our interpretation of success would align. Success in the music industry is assessed by your ability to sell music, to generate... This is Island Records you're talking about. Island Records, yeah. Much love to Island Records. I learned so much and we experienced yeah, yeah. great successes together. Um, yeah. But I learned that the music industry is... It, 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 it places primacy, um, sometimes at the cost of other valuable um, opportunities. It places primacy on the sale of music. Um, so it took me a couple of years to just get over that. I was a little bit embittered. I felt like I'd been missold what you yeah. know what we were doing here. And once I got my head around that and I investigated TV because I had a growing interest in, like I said, it, it evolving my form, I looked into mm-hmm. the TV space and it was the same. Mm-hmm. What sustained me during those years in which I wasn't doing music was ad work. Again, big corporations, big... Yeah. Uh, uh, opportunities a lot of reach but all of this stuff was enhancing the public's understanding of me and my message Mm -hmm. now when i was younger i was a little bit uh uh a a bit rigid in what i interpreted as positive players in in the media space and negative uh forces but i guess i i'm now a place where I, i i feel like no uh path to to becoming a public voice no path is straightforward none of it will happen in in a vacuum in isolation um and there are pros and cons uh with with any any pathway you choose and i feel like i've just done every pathway so before bbc sounds got involved i was creating this completely independently and my friends were really concerned they used to say to me are you not worried about the, the the lack of listens do you not feel like you should have a machine behind you that is promoting this thing a bit more uh, formally than you're able to do a bit more consistently w- with a bit more funding? And I thought, yeah, but my, my ultimate idea, my ultimate focus, as I explained to you, was that I had finally found a form and my yeah. job was perfecting the form. Yeah. So because I was preoccupied with that, I didn't stress too much and had faith in people. I, I felt like if people recognize what I think is we've done here, uh, then you know how we move forward and how we scale up will become clear but to involve um bbc sounds um that was a decision we made when they reached out to us and when they reached out that's when we started looking around at the whole landscape and thinking okay uh scale up scaling up is going to become necessary if we do it independently we're going to either have to go with ads which will kill it for me just because of the experience that I'm trying to build, not because ads themselves are wrong. Um, yeah. Or we'd have to charge the audience, which again would kill it for me for obvious reasons. So yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted it to be free. I wanted ads to not be a thing. And I wanted a partner who would be able to, who, who's foc- who like me, their focus wasn't commercial. Yeah. Had an understanding of the commercial landscape, had commercial ambitions, but was able if i was if i said to you yo we really need to make this episode and we need to ensure that we link the streets with the intelligentsia my island records experience taught me that you that has to be the basis of of your understanding with the partner who's going to present you to the world and that was we found that in bbc sounds um the evolution of 
the podcasting space is a, is a separate conversation which I'm I'm happy to have um, but I, I do think it's inevitable that change mm. when something good happens that change is inevitable yeah and so it was good for you did they change it at all did they no. did they encourage did they left you to do it they completely the way that you left wanted me to. to they didn't change a single thing at one point the elections were on the horizon last towards the end of last year and I made a comment about the elections and they were true to you know like it's so funny the debate that happened about the BBC or has been raging and came to a head earlier this year around mm-hmm. license fee um because the only the only time they stepped in editorially was to flag to me a moment where it sounded like you know they were in the firing line for bias political bias so they asked me if i could phrase what i had said it was in episode 15 i made a comment about the elections and brexit not moving forward um yeah, yeah it was it was it, fair play but other than that now they they, they haven't interrupted yeah. the flow yeah, fantastic. And in terms of impact, I mean, as a 12, 13-year-old, you knew that you wanted to be an entertainer who made an impact. That's what you wrote at school. You knew who you wanted to be. Right. I mean, obviously, it's worked. Do you feel that you're making that impact now? Is this the way to do it? I do think I'm making that impact. Um It's been, I was thinking about this just earlier today. Um, if I was to take, if there exists, if there existed a, a, a key stage two subject called performance poetry and I had to do sats and I had to do key stage three sats, GCSE performance poetry, A-level performance poetry, performance poetry degree. I don't think I would have the career that I have now. I don't think I would be as uh, I, I don't think I would have got everything that I have from poetry. But uh, um, there's a magic in listening. To, for me, there's a magic in listening to music and listening to people. The magic just never dies. And there are people and music everywhere. So the journey that I've been on since I was 12 was how to marry that. Uh, and I feel like I'm now at a place where it's clearer than ever people understand complexities that took me a a long time to understand about myself and when they hear it in my work they recognize it in themselves so now we're having a much more sophisticated conversation than what than what I was capable of before it's fantastic I'm asking everyone who I talk to for the tech stuff what do you what microphone do you use so I use um, an Aston spirit microphone Aston are great. They're a young company, have come through and just transformed the microphone space. I find their uh I find their mics affordable, high quality, um and versatile. They can capture a range of tones very well. Um we rec- we record the podcast using Logic, the the, the program Logic. Um Bembrick has a host if you imagine like a room full of suitcases but the digital version suitcases full of sound effects sounds instruments that will allow us to create very quickly some quite elaborate scenarios for the year yeah 
And that's that's pretty much it, man. Laptop, mic, logic. Because it's easy. I mean, that is the thing about podcasting. I mean, you, you yeah. create stuff that sounds incredibly transformative. It takes you somewhere completely different. But actually, it's really easy to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, I, I think the, the, the bare mechanics of it is really easy. Um, and then it's just up to you how hard you can push yourself. How, yeah. So, for example, episode 18, we were really up against the clock. Um, and we had about three days to make the whole thing, to conceptualize, compose, and release. And um, that's how you ended up with two scenes, with the pillow talk thing, and with um, quite a literal interpretation of where I was at at that time in terms of looking at Ugandan politics, looking at British politics. Um, we have taken a month to record episodes, but we also took three days to record that one, which was a really good episode, which is one of my favorite episodes ever. Uh, so it's like how you apply, how you use your tools and what you put your mind to building that's completely up to you. Thanks for listening. You can buy the book, How to Start and Grow a Podcast, by me, Julie Smith, featuring all the interviews in this podcast at any bookshop. Or go to julysmith.com and click on the bookshop tab. I'll be back next week with pop star Jessie Ware and her mum, Lenny, to hear about their brilliant podcast, Table Manners. I'll see you then. <laughs>